today we're talking about mental health and concussion. My guest today is Bella Page. She's the host of the Post Concussion Podcast. The Post Concussion Podcast is a podcast that was started by Bella out of her own experience. And she shares very candidly about her experiences with mental health, including difficulty with depression and how she got through it. I do want to put a trigger warning that we do talk about suicide today. So if anyone is sensitive to this topic, I certainly want to let you know before we start talking about that. Bella was gracious to share her darkest thoughts in some of her most difficult moments post-concussion. And I know that others have certainly struggled with this. So so I'd love you to connect with Bella. You can do that through her website at Post Concussion Inc. And I will include that in the show notes. Let's take a listen to this wonderful survivor. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the TBI Therapist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Blanchett, where we explore the heart of brain injury. Hello, welcome to the TBI Therapist Podcast. Today, my guest is Bella Page. Hey, Bella, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. So today, we thought we would jump into all things mental health and concussion. And I know that you have a wealth of experience and knowledge to share with our guests. So maybe you can share. You've been this, first of all, this is the second time you've been on the podcast. So welcome back. And really just going to talk about maybe what's going on in your world right now, what you're excited about, because I can reference back to that other podcast to learn more about you too. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's been really busy uh, lately. I have been getting better every day, I guess. I'd like to say like my mental health is really good right now. My symptoms are pretty much non-existent. I actually learned that the symptoms I've been thinking I've been dealing with for the last year are actually from something else. So that's like a good sign and a bad sign. Um, it feels like a good sign because like I'm glad I am recovered from my concussions because like I never thought I was ever going to get to say that. Um, been really busy. Concussion Connect is our new support community for brain injury and concussion survivors where they can go and we have a support group every week. Uh, there's like kind of prompts. People share their wins, the things they're struggling with all the time. Uh, it's great. There's a help series on it, which is my own video series. And just more and more things keep getting added. A cookbook is going to be on it by the end of January and Ooh. more and more things. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Thanks. Well, I kind of want to dig into what you just said is that I feel like I'm recovered from my concussions and I never thought that I would say that it, because so many people I've worked with have struggled for years, months or years, most often years of concussion symptoms. So talk to me about, you know, maybe what's gotten you to this point where you feel like you're recovered and maybe what are, what's, what are some of the mental shifts that needed to happen for you? Yeah, for sure. So I think like one of the biggest things for me was my headaches. Uh, it's the first, like for symptoms wise. And then the mental side of it was really, uh, I was really depressed. Uh, I suffered from severe depression for a very long time, probably 
I'd say about seven years uh, in and out of like depression and like lulls of like, you know, I think I'm okay and everything's okay. And then like, I would think I'm better. And then like one small thing would happen that wasn't like that stressful in my life. And I would tank like from like, I'm okay to like that feeling of like, I can't control anything and shaking and vibrating and crying and like, do I want to be here feelings and like, I didn't know I could still feel like that. And so I think that's where I kind of learned that like the mental illness side of this is something I will have to deal with for the rest of my life, Mm -hmm. even though I'm recovered like symptom wise. And so at least physical symptom wise, (laughs) but I do find like, I always explain as like the ball in the box and like you have a box and your mental health and there's a button and that ball, you know, like will hit that button. And sometimes that ball shrinks really small and it's learning how to keep it small and not letting it grow so big to the point where it hits the button every day. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, like it took me a long time to kind of get to the point where like something bad happens now and I don't feel like the world is ending um, around me. I don't feel like that, like heart racing, uh, like sweating and like in control uh, out of control feeling. And now I feel in control, uh, a little bit more of my emotions. I don't lash out so much anymore. I don't like feel so much like I'm on a roller coaster. I actually went to therapy for this, uh, because I kind of got really afraid of the highs because, uh, like I would get really happy and things like that. But then I would be so nervous of things going wrong that when things went wrong, I would tank. Like my mental health would spiral so far down that it was like, how am I back here again is how I would feel. So it was really learning how to kind of live in the middle uh, of like those highs and lows where like, I'm happy. I definitely feel sadness some days, but like, I don't feel so happy that I'm like scared and I don't feel so sad that I'm also scared in a different way. Yeah. So maybe finding more of the middle place, mm-hmm. staying in more of that, you know, grounded kind of centered core of ourselves, which is hard. You know, I think whenever I hear, you know, it, it makes sense. So when bad things happen, it feels like the floor is going to drop out if your floor has dropped out before. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes with trauma for a yeah. lot of the folks that I've worked with who's ha- who have had a concussion. It is a trauma. And that trauma has led to symptoms for many, many years. And so it makes sense that when, you know, a little bump on the head happens that isn't a concussion, but makes you think you will get concussed again, or just even an emotional issue where like Mm -hmm. someone gets mad at you. And then that still, that kind of feels like in the body the same. It feels like I'm in a dangerous situation because the body really doesn't know the difference. Yeah. Or like uh, it was New Year's kind of just before we're recording this and someone asked me if I made New Year's resolutions and I said I don't do that anymore and they're like oh why they're like you don't believe good things are gonna happen and I said no I didn't say that I said I don't plan for good things to happen anymore I just let them happen uh, mm-hmm. it's just what works better for me like if you can make New Year's resolutions that's wonderful but I have had the floor taken out from under me as you explained it a lot um, in the last 10 years, a lot more than anybody else. And that includes things that are not on the podcast. Sure. Um, my life has had like, uh, it's been a roller coaster, both concussion wise and not concussion wise. And so 
I do better just kind of like living day to day. I make plans for a month and the next month. And it's not that I don't plan a little bit into the future. For example, like I have concert tickets eight months from now, but yeah. I don't go like 2023 is my year to do this, this and this. I can't do that anymore um, because I find I really struggle when those things don't happen. So I just do better not getting so um, worked up about plans. Like I used to be that person that had like the next five years laid out. Be like, this is what I'd like. And now I'm more of a like, you know what? Like we know what we would like in life. We know where we want to go. But it doesn't matter when we get there. We just kind of go at our own pace and go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like reframing, you know, also that I don't have to make these long-term plans, that I don't have to push myself into certain goals or identities anymore, that I'm going to kind of keep doing what I'm doing. And I, I love like habit creation and rhythms and routines those that we we can we can plan for in a way so i can i always plan the night before like what am, what do i want my what do i want my day to be tomorrow okay i want to drink water before coffee i want to move my body i want to do certain things related to work but that's not like a long term no. kind of yeah. goal or whatever well oh, i make like short term like i like um like short-term plans, like I have like my week laid out for work and I have like what I'm going to do from when I get up to the end of the day because I like things kind of like stationed out. But mm-hmm. yeah, just not those big like huge goals that I used to have. Like for show jumping, like five to ten years of my life was planned out. So losing that and then losing a few other things with like school and career um, because of my symptoms kind of taking over a lot of things in my life, it... uh it's really easy for me to just kind of like stop beating yourself up so much. Even for post-concussion ink, I've had things that I'm like, oh, it's going to be launched in November. It's launching in January. That's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like I kind of stopped um, beating myself up for natural things that happen in everyday life where I used to just, yeah, kind of like not, I did not do well. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. I think that's why I like just thinking of habits and routines and like you have this habit of podcasting, right? And in some days it's, you can do that, but other days, maybe you're going to do it on Wednesday or other weeks, rather you might do it on Wednesday rather than Monday. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's room or wiggle room into what you can do. That's cool. So let's talk a little bit about mental health and what's worked for you. Because, you know, I, we just came off of recording a podcast over on your podcast and we talked a little bit about grief, but we can start there or we can start completely somewhere else with talking about your mental health journey through concussion and what maybe what worked and what didn't work. Maybe we can start there. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I love talking about mental health. It's like my favorite topic uh, for me. It's tough because it was a really long uh, journey. So it's this all started when I was about 15 and I'm 25 now, so it's been a long road. And, like, I had concussion symptoms in and out before that for a few months, but never anything. Like, once that, once I turned 15, like, that's when it started and it didn't end. Um, that's what it felt like. But uh, when I was younger, it started in, like, high school. So my mental illness started because I wasn't able to do what I loved. So I had to move back home. 
And I was actually a competitive athlete at a very high level living away from home because of that. And I had been traveling six months in one city, six months in the other, and like just so busy. I was used to like this life where it was like, get up and go, go, go. And all of a sudden I went from like, get up and go, 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 ride horses all day, train, look at videos, study, like you're still high school students, you have to get schoolwork done, do that when you don't want to. (laughs) And that was my life. And then all of a sudden I went to not being able to get out of bed. Um, How I would get out of bed was in the morning, so I would get up and then I would lay on the cold floor because my headaches kind of felt like my brain was on fire. And then I would usually make it to like the landing. Uh, I always like to explain like my mom's house had three stages of stairs. So I would do like the one and then walk down four stairs and lay down again. And then walk oh, down wow. another four and lay down again. And then I would make it. And then I would probably sit at the kitchen table. And my mom would usually make me something to eat because I did luck out having a stay-at-home mom <laughs> through all this. Otherwise, it probably would have been even harder mm-hmm. being a because st- I was young. Like, I couldn't do anything. Uh, I know si- my siblings' friends, uh, my brother's childhood best friend always makes a joke of being like, oh, yeah, well, we knew Bella. Bella lived in her room. Uh, for like a few years. And it's true. I did. I kind of, a lot of that stuff is really blocked out of my memory. Uh, like I could talk about it now, but like on a day to day, I don't think about it anymore because it's really hard to think about, um, that kind of stuff. So I've accepted it. Uh, that was something I had to go through was like letting the wall down. I had built up so much, such a big wall from like how ill I was, even though I was still ill that I like, disassociated it from me like it was like you know like those like nights where like I was in high school and had notes uh typed up on my bed on my computer for everyone that I loved and cared about because I was very certain that there was many nights that I wasn't didn't want to make it until morning and I am Mm -hmm. an attempted suicide survivor and so like there was a lot of those moments where like I was struggling a lot more than people thought I was like I would go to school like for an hour every day or about a class. And then I'd have to come home because my symptoms were so severe. Uh, my parents would let me ride horses still. <laughs> I was I couldn't go to school, but I would manage to ride a horse um, like a few times a week. And I think they let me do that just because they didn't know what to do with me. Um, like I was yeah. going to all these doctor's appointments. And I think it was like the only way of them letting me be a kid uh, in some way. And like, it kind of gave me like this, like I love this, and like it kind of made me feel good every day a little bit, even for a short period of time. But yeah, so like high school is long, and then I went to university, and so in university I got told to drop out uh, probably four times by doctors and by okay. the school. Uh, I went to like the accessibility center, and they're like, "Are you sure you want to do this?" And I was like, "Isn't that not your job?" Like I was like. <laughs> Like, you're supposed to be the ones helping me do this. And they were like, no, like, like you can't even come to, like, you can't come to class. Uh, you don't have a memory. Like, what are you, are you sure? Like, you want to be in school? And so I did it anyways. Uh, I kind of did it my own way. But I did get through school. And it was actually in my last year of university that a few other things went wrong in my life. And it was kind of like, backwards because that was when I thought my mental health was doing better and I think it's that it wasn't doing better just my headaches were a little better 
So I thought that that's how it worked. Like I was convinced like that all the times I went to therapy and all these things were like, I am not mentally ill because of anything else other than the fact that I am in pain every single day. So if I get rid of the pain, I get rid of the depression. And I mm. thought that would like go together like glue. And that's not how it worked. Um, so I thought I was better. And so I kind of stopped like worrying about it so much. And then a few things went wrong in a few months and like, you know, a lot of loss. And all of a sudden I spent a week running and I think I ran like, I don't know, for like three hours a day um, because running I've learned is my, I always like to tell people to find what is your uh, warning sign. Uh, in social yeah. media and in TV when I was a kid, it was you dye your hair black and cut all your hair off, wear a lot of makeup and don't talk to anybody. Um, doesn't usually actually look like that. Uh, for me, when I'm really stressed out, uh, I start running. Uh, and like whenever things are going wrong in my life, I want to run. And I think I do that because I don't like running at all. It is my least favorite form of exercise. And I think it's because when I do it, I could turn my brain off. Because I'm so angry that I'm running. <laughs> but, um, so I did attempt suicide in that month of when I started running. And then I got put into mandatory therapy. And that is honestly, uh, I do give credit. They actually pulled a therapist that had retired. She came out of retirement for me because my situation was a little unique. And uh, she saved my life, honestly. The mandatory therapy mm. did save my life uh, because I needed to learn how to cope with the illness, uh, like the mental illness and like those thoughts of like me driving down the road and my brain telling me to just drive off of it. Mm. Um, like the thoughts were powerful. Like I would shake. Uh, like my partner at the time would be like, like, you're not okay, Bella. Like you're vibrating. Um like, you know, or like I would sleep it off. Like if I didn't want to think about it, I would go to sleep. Mm -hmm. So like that was like a really bad coping mechanism of like, you don't want to think about it. So sleep instead. So you don't have to think about it. Um, but that's not really healthy and lots of things like that. So that therapy and I only did therapy for I think four months. Um, but it was meant like I wasn't allowed to miss. If I missed, I was admitted. So I had to like pick and choose. Yeah. So I chose to be an outpatient. Um, luckily because I have a very supportive family. And so it was all the tools that I learned, uh, that really helped me like grounding techniques and like, um, uh, mindfulness was the biggest thing for me, like bringing my brain to like, you're act actually, everything is okay. Like my brain would spiral so fast and so hard that I'd be like, like, I can't, like, I can't do this. Like, I'd be like, you know, like, I'm done. Like, life, like, I'm done. Like, I'm done with life. I'm done with my health. I'm just done. And so learning mm -hmm. how to calm that down. And, like, it started with, like, taking, like, half the day. Like, it was something that, like, I would spiral and I would spiral for a week. And then I yeah. learned how to spiral for, like, three days. And then two. And then one. And then I learned that, like, I could calm down the spiral in an afternoon. And then an hour. And it just was, like... Now, like, don't get me wrong, I still have, like, moments, like, I said, like, I just found out about new health stuff, and my whole body was, like, I'm so over being ill. <laughs> like, I like I just thought I was better, and all of a sudden now it's, like, okay, you're not. Um, that was really hard for me. I had a really hard few weeks, and it's just, like, I can get rid of those thoughts now in, like, five minutes. Uh, 
like, or in a moment. And so mm-hmm. being able to do that has completely changed um, my life, honestly. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, I'm just kind of taking that all in. I talked a lot. <laughs> no, I, sometimes it's just good to pause and like, you know, process like what that was a lot that you just said. And I think hearing your story, like first I'm honored to hear that and for you to share that I think is a gift for other people that if they're struggling with that, they don't have to continue to struggle with that. They can get help. They can get support. Mm -hmm. But at that moment, a lot of people feel like they're always going to feel that way. And that's what keeps them stuck because they don't believe there's another side. There's a way out of it. No. And your brain is really good. Like, I used to tell myself that, like, your brain is lying to you. Uh, like, you know, like, my brain would tell me, like, like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you here? And, like, the suicidal thoughts that I had were very strong um, and very powerful. And it is, like, you have to remind yourself, that, like, your brain is ill. And so your brain is going to not tell you the truth. So you have to, like, kind of learn to almost talk back to your brain. Um, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird, but like you have to learn that like there's kind of, I always explain as like, there's kind of two of you. There's like the side of you that is okay. And the side of you that thinks everything is going to end. And you have to learn how to fight with the one that thinks everything's going to end. Like, and learn how to like quiet down that thought, those thoughts from that side yeah. of your brain and kind of be like, no, we are okay. Like, Today is really like today is horrible. Like our symptoms are out of control. Our headache is so we are in so much pain that like if someone could see our pain, they would probably be afraid of us. But like that doesn't mean tomorrow has to be. And like being able to tell myself that uh, and like believe in it um, Mm -hmm. was something that really helped me. But it it took a long time. Like I always like to tell people like this was not overnight. Um, And I wish it was, but it really wasn't. Yeah, it, it sounds like you, it was a process and that process started probably with that four months of therapy. But then I'm imagining that four months was that start and the, yeah, oh, yeah. the, the stop of major symptoms, but then likely you had to continue. Oh, with... I've gone back to therapy a few times too. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big believer in personal therapy. I mean, I'm ther- I'm a therapist, but also attend therapy and believe in ner- nervous system regulation. I've been an EMDR client. So all of the things that I've been trained in, I do. And so I I think that that's really important that you're sharing that people can, number one, have permission to do, to seek treatment, because some people feel like, you know, that's not for me or my family doesn't value that type of care. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes getting past what are those barriers and, you know, for some people it's been having a family member bring them. Mm -hmm. A lot of survivors have come to me in therapy with their family member or support person or partner. Yeah. And that helped them get through the door and then the partner. And sometimes I just work and do family treatment or, you know, loved one treatment because they need the care too, because they're caring for the survivor and they need their own help. Yeah. That was something that uh, was really missed in my recovery was like, like, I'm one of, I have a lot of siblings. <laughs> and, uh, like, I think that was something why I was so against therapy at first was that, like, I had all, like, I had a great support team. Like, like I think sometimes people don't realize, like, it's not just the person that's, like, alone going through this. Like, 
my parents are amazing. My siblings are wonderful. I have good friends. Like, it wasn't that I didn't have anyone around me. I had a wonderful partner at the time, like, that dealt with the craziness. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, that kind of stuff is like, people forget. It's like, I wasn't alone. Um, but my partner, my friends, my sib, like, siblings and parents, they weren't going to give me the tools to get better. They were just mm-hmm. there to vent to. And like, I learned that therapy was not a venting session. <laughs> like I thought it was. And like mandatory therapy is what helped me. And there was sessions that I went into as a teenager uh, with my mom. And I remember that's where I learned finding the right therapist was really important uh, afterwards because we would go in and they would say something and then I'd shut down yeah. and then I'd be done. And my mom's like, you're never going back. And I'm like, nope. She's like, they said the wrong thing. I was like, yep. And she's like, okay, like I'll try again. Like I just yeah. like couldn't imagine like my poor mom, but it is really important to be like, you know, like you have to be really open uh, when going into therapy. And I think one of the problems with therapy, when I talk to people is they're like, well, I've been into therapy for a month, but I haven't like, nothing's really happened yet. And I'm like, you know how long it takes to get to know someone? Right. Um, <laughs> I was like, don't forget like those first few like sessions that you do are really just you explaining what you're going through. Like, especially if you're like me, like super complicated. Like I was in therapy a few times a week. It wasn't like a once a session. Um, like I was there all the time. <laughs> yeah. But, so those four months were three sessions yeah, a week. And that's a huge difference, right? Oh yeah. So it's you're like, you're speeding up that therapy. Oh if yeah. You're go- if you're going that often, more than once a week, yeah. So and like- and and that's okay. A lot of people have done multiple sessions mm-hmm. with me a week, and that's really helped them during like an acute period. Of yeah, mental- that's where I was at. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, right after an attempted suicide, like I was like numb um, for a while. Yeah. 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 So I think. You stressing that your your family is there to support you and love you, and they're your family, but they're not your mental health. You're not the treatment center. You no. know, a lot of times families think that they can figure it out and they can get you better, and they are just not a treatment center. And so I tell that to support people a lot of times that, you know, this this is just not something that you can help them with. You can support them in this way. And I think giving families and partners concrete ways they can help by you know, whether that's coordinating meals or helping you making sure that you're getting your water or things that are tangible. And that helps them feel like they're supporting you, but they're not doing the things that asking you 10 million times, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Which just makes you angry and want to lash out more, Mm -hmm. but they're worried. So they need something to do. So it's like, for survivors, you have to give your family a job. I'm sorry. (laughs) They just need a job. Yeah. And I (laughs) feel bad because no one ever like, like, I forget that my siblings went through it um, yeah. around me. And, like, I forget that because, like, like I said, like, I had that big wall. I dropped it down, accepted what happened to me. And then I put it back up because, like, who I, I don't want to think about it. Like, you know, like, a lot of years of my life were spent in a bed. And I don't need to think about that every day. Like, I accepted that it happened and moved on from it. But my siblings haven't in yeah. the same way. Uh they didn't go to therapy for that um, specifically. Uh, nobody was like, you know, like maybe they're not okay. And so like when I go do things, I forget. For example, my younger sister was always around when I was going through this. 
and didn't really get it at the time because she was three years younger than me. And this started when I was 15. So she was just a little kid. And when I go do things, because I talk about this on my podcast, is that I'm an adrenaline junkie. And being an adrenaline junkie and being a concussion survivor and being someone that's been really sick, your family doesn't love that you're an adrenaline junkie. Um, no, they, that would not probably work for them. No, it does not. Uh, <laughs> they would like me to do nothing. Uh, I ride dirt bikes, uh, like skiing. I don't really view that because I just, I don't do anything risky skiing. I just go down the hill, but you could still yeah. get hurt. But like, I'm always out there like jumping a dirt bike, uh, getting faster on a dirt bike and like being like, Oh, I want to do this. I did ice racing last year on a dirt bike. And I remember that day, um, before I went, I had stopped, um, at my mom's to grab, uh, winter gear because I was like oh I need like more stuff I don't have enough in my house so I like went and combed through all the bins from when we were kids and my little sister is standing at the top of the stairs screaming at me mm-hmm. about how I'm gonna kill myself and do you really want to go back to living in your bed and like what are you doing with your wow. life and like all that and I'm like oh like I kind of like I forgot you know like it was like a big reminder of like you know, like, she watched that, and so did my older siblings, but, like, they watched yeah. it from a different perspective. But, like, you know, like, she watched all that, and it was kind of, like, a big, like, kind of a reminder of, like, you know, like, don't forget there's other people involved in your life. Uh, this is about you, but it's also not all about you. <laughs> and so it was, like, a good, like, you know, like, I still went ice racing. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. I don't not do the things that I love to do, but... Uh, it stopped me from getting my actual motorcycle license and driving on the road. Um, yeah. so I was like, you know what? Like I can get through it, but I don't know if they can. Uh, and that was something I kind of had to accept. That was like, you know what? Sometimes there's give and take and you have to kind of figure out where that is. Like I accepted and agreed with my family. Like I ice race for fun, uh, but I don't line up at the gate with like a bunch of people. Same thing with dirt biking. Like I go out for fun. Um, I'm now on the local committee because I like to overcommit to things uh, and I'm hosting all the events now but I am not at the gate um, and I think that's fair because like I get to do it but I don't line up with like 20 people who are rushing off a gate and often like people crash a lot of the time uh, in races because okay, yeah. people like the risk is higher like when you're racing all of a sudden like people are more competitive they're going to crash into you they're going to cut you off where in a normal practice day, no one's doing that. So I think for me, it was really finding a balance where like my family could live with it and I could live with it. And yeah. that took me some time, but really realizing what my family went through uh, was something that I didn't do until a lot later, like until I was better, honestly, um, yeah, was when I started well, to realize like, oh, I didn't have time to think about it when I wasn't better, to be honest. <laughs> right. I, I think when you, you know, when you can't like hold your own hold hold space for yourself, you can't hold space for other people. Mm-hmm, exactly. So when you had probably gain more capacity to hold space for other people, you kind of notice that. And so that makes a lot of sense to me, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Well, are there any like last tips or recommendations or anything that you would like to say to another survivor right now? Yeah, well, I could say a million things, <laughs> but I really just like to remind people to like kind of 
Like, don't be so hard on yourself. I used to really beat myself up for not being able to do things or even not being able to do things in a day. Like, for example, today I have a whole day planned out. And before I used to get so mad if I didn't get it done. And it was really just learning that, like, you know, like, what's the rush? I think because I was younger, I was in high school, then university, and you're kind of like slammed through, like, this is where you have to go. You have to build your career and do all these things. And even if you're like, older and are in your career like it's not going anywhere like you know just kind of take time for yourself and do it the best that you can each day like it doesn't matter if you do your best every day even if that's drastically different every day that's still okay yeah I love that I could just be your best every day you don't have to kind of I love one of my favorite saying is is you're only in competition with yourself mm-hmm you know, trying to stay in your lane is really hard though. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Where can people find you if they haven't been in your world yet? Yeah. So I have the post-concussion podcast, which you can find on every podcast streaming service there is like Spotify and Apple. And then I also have post-concussion Inc, which you can find the support community, concussion connect, uh, tons of great resources and all that. Yeah. So take her up on that. I think that you are a really great resource to concussion survivors and people need community. So I just encourage people if they need community to reach out to you and listen to your podcast. Yeah. Well, thank you thank so much you for, for what you're. Me. Yeah. I just wanted to thank you for what you're putting out in the world. Thank you. Awesome. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us today on the TBI Therapist Podcast. Please visit tbitherapist.com for more information on brain injury, concussion, and mental health. The information shared on today's podcast is intended to provide information, awareness, and discussion on the topic. It is not clinical or medical advice. If you need mental health or medical advice, please seek a professional. 